We're almost there, guys. We're this close. We are this close. Are you guys ready? You ready to be done uh, with NaNoWriMo? No, I'm about ready to start Nano December. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Yeah, I'm kind of there too, honestly. Yeah. How about you, Carly? I heard you're about like finished. Almost. <laughs> you're, yeah, you're just done. Like, this isn't even yeah. It's not even a challenge at like, this point. Like I gotta write three thousand words a day to the end of November to do this. With like the book, I mean, are you like almost done with the book? Yeah. Yeah. Connor, how far are you on? Uh, eight thousand words. All right. Ooh. I don't feel so bad. Yep. This is a Christian artist honoring Christ through creativity. My name is Caleb. My name is Connor. And my name is Carly. That was a long cold open. That didn't really yeah. feel like a cold open. Maybe it was just <laughs> talking. That's fine. Didn't really have an idea, so it's all good. So yeah, we're here, um, and uh, we are going to talk about NaNoWriMo. Uh, but yeah, uh, so sounds like we're, we're doing well. Um, how much... So you're, you're, you said you're 8,000, Connor. Where are you in terms of, like, story? Where am I in terms of story? Yeah. Like, chapter two. Cool. I guess I meant, like, in terms of, like, what's happening. Oh, what's happening? Yeah. Well, I, I did tell you, but right. I, obviously I, I that's did, not, but... yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, pretty much the, uh... The uh, martyrs that he's about to train have arrived at the temple. Um, and so they, they're they there. I haven't introduced any of the characters yet of the martyrs. Mm -hmm. um, it's just been Evanari and Raid or Raid and Korobin talking about uh, all that stuff, about talking about the, uh, the logistics of what they have to do. And, and really, I think it's just... Uh, putting Raid's character in a, uh, um, in a specific light and just really fleshing out his character of like mm -hmm. what he, what he thinks about what he does. Um, not sure if I'm doing it perfectly yet of how his character acts, but it's good. Um, but then Pretty much what I'm what I'm about to start writing for chapter three is the uh, like them is pretty much just raid uh, explaining to them like how the power works that there are differences within the power and like organizing them into what power they are and also Evanari giving like his first um, like sermon pretty much to them of like uh, what what they should be uh, doing here why they're here. Um, and I'm not entirely sure how that one's going to go. That's kind of tricky in my head right now. Um, but, and also I don't really know how, how it's going to go with them, uh, with, with Raid, like telling them about these things and like what he's going to expect from them. Um, so I'm at a lump right now where I don't know where to, um, how to get to where I want to go. Cause I know what's going to happen after this, mm -hmm. um, but I don't know how to get there. Um, with that, that's what I'm doing right now. Sure. But, uh, the next chapter is going to be from Zofia's point of view, uh, the leader martyr. Uh, so that's the, uh, 
That's where I'm at. Cool. Exciting. I'm into it. Carl's, where are you? Uh, I'm in like probably second or third to last scene. Mm-hmm. And wow, exciting! <laughs> I'm Impressive, I'm bro. kind of stuck because I'm I'm finding it so much easier to write, but I'm not sure if what I write is what I'm going to end up actually keeping as like events that happen. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm hesitant to write the end because I'm like, I don't want to have to rewrite <laughs> right. the major like end of this, but mm-hmm. um, yeah. Understandable. Totally understandable. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm kind of honestly in a little bit of a place like that right now. I've, I've really hit the point. Hmm. Um, like Carly, not like towards the end, but like the idea of it's easy to write, but I don't know how much of what I'm writing is actually going to yeah. stay. And it's just like, cause I'm just like going along with the flow and I'm just like, yeah. okay, what's the next logical next thing that needs to happen. <laughs> but then I write it and I'm like, okay, I mean, this is, this is going somewhere. I see it's going somewhere, but somewhere I thought it was going and I'm not sure it's good yet. I don't know. So, yeah, I kind of just, I drew out basically. So the, the storyline that I'm writing right now, I'm, I'm into Danis's chapters, the first, her first chapters. And I, where basically there was one chapter before and half of the chapter, I basically have, I've made the last half of the original chapter, her first chapter into two more chapters um, so I've stretched out a plot point that was much less expanded before into something that's kind of intense. And, uh, I, I like it, but yeah, I don't know. It's, it's one of those things where I'm just like, I'm caught up in the flow and I don't know what it's going to look like on the other side, but I'm just kind of going for the ride. We'll see where it goes. So Doing the Bernie Wheel stuff has been so helpful, though. <laughs> I've made, like, care sheets for all the characters, and I'm, like, following along with whatever, whenever they reach a point where they would have to make a roll to accomplish something, I've had them roll, and I have stuck with every single roll I've gotten. And I got to a point where I was like, all right, this is a really important roll. She needs to make this because this is the next thing that happens. <laughs> I, I know that this is going to happen. And so I, I had her spend, like, a point of persona and, like... <laughs> like build up a whole bunch of forks and she failed miserably and i was like okay i could just fudge the roll but let's think about this she was trying to do something she wasn't good at anyway what if i just say all right well she failed at lying i guess she's gonna use violence now and just go with it because it's more true to her character and honestly i really like the way that scene turned out because i'm just like Okay, yeah, this shows us exactly who Danis is. Like, she tries to be persuasive, and then it doesn't work, and she's like, all right, guess I gotta punch people. So, yeah, I really liked it. It's been fun. Uh, so, in terms of how we usually do this, uh, Connor, let's start with you. What what you got for us? You got something for us to read? You got something for us to hash out with you? you well, um... Uh, generally, I just really want some advice of, like, what would Raid do in this situation of, uh, he has a bunch of people, uh, that he, uh, 
is now in charge of training with this power, what would he start with? Because he's definitely very simple, definitely not going to give them a lot to... He's, like, uh... There's, there's not going to be a lot of grace in the sense that he's not going to really explain things super well. He's just going to kind of throw them in there and see what they do. And so I'm trying to figure out what that would be interpreted as. Because all I want to do in my head is make some sort of secret magical room that helps them train for their powers or something weird like that. And I'm just like, that's stupid. But that's like right. the... So what's the last... I don't know how else to what like... What's the last thing you wrote in terms of... Um, on, on the page. So I love the how last the, thing I, I love the doc is titled the gray with an E and then the, your title. Yeah. Is gray with an yeah. A. I can't, I can't get it I straight. Know, me neither, just... dude. I can never remember which one's the, the American. Yeah. Spelling. Yep. And who even cares what the American spelling yeah. is? You know what I mean? Like, I think it's... I prefer E. I think it looks cooler with an E. You think yeah. so? But it's up to you. Um, so the last thing that, um, they do, the last thing they, uh, the last thing that happens is, uh, they get like about a hundred martyrs, uh, that like show up and, uh, they get to the place and, uh, Ray is like genuinely excited and he goes over and, and, uh, uh, it like opens up a scene with uh, like the last scene opens up last scene that I've written opens up with him uh, just like giving them a really short introduction and then pretty much turning them over to Corvin. Right. And he gives them like a tour and they and uh, uh, Raid and Evan Ari kind of follow behind and are talking about things. Mm -hmm. um, and Evan Ari is pretty much just like, hey, how does like like what do you want me to do? Right. And, and, uh, like, I'm not sure, like, what's expected of me. And, uh, like, he's not sure what to teach them because he doesn't know, he doesn't know what the powers are. And so he can't figure out how to relate it to them. And so he doesn't know, like, what he's mm -hmm. supposed to be doing. Um, and so Ray just pretty much just tells him, look, I, I didn't want you to be here so that you can tell me how to teach these kids. I wanted you to be here so that you could teach these kids what you right. know. Um, and, and he pretty much just talks him through with that. Um, and so that's just kind of setting up like, uh, Raid's personality, yeah. but also this is who, um, Evanari is, and this is what they're mm -hmm. going to do. Um, and it's just setting up both of the, just their relationship and, uh, their personality and what they're going to do. Um, it gives you a little, a little tidbit of that. Uh, but you don't get uh, anything from any of the extra characters, any of the kids yet. And so what I want to do for sure is have a scene from one of the kids' point of view next. But I don't know how I should right. do that. Like, I don't know what... So the last thing that happened was... It's going to look raid, like... Um, was talking to Evanari... Insane. Yeah, and they're they're talking about Evanari's yeah. strengths and weaknesses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because he's he's seen him. He's seen his strengths and weaknesses. Oh, Carly, and uh, I've I've made it a thing that uh, Ray has an eidetic uh, eidetic Ide memory. Yeah, right. Eidetic memory. Uh, so every time he reads somebody's strengths and weaknesses, because it is a visual thing. I also I haven't I haven't described uh, a scene where he does it yet. So I'm excited to be able to write that out. That'll be fun. Um, eidetic memory. And means, so uh, photographic basically 
by the way. Yeah, nice. so so he he's always going to remember everybody's strengths and weaknesses. Nice. He can always pull that image back up in his head. And so Yeah, and I did memorize uh, an ability to recall images from memory vividly after only a few instances of exposure. Yeah. So so that's going to be really fun for him uh to be able to have that ability. And so then he just uh describes uh makes makes a few jokes about uh uh, um, to Evanari, trying to um, not let him worry about the fact that his weaknesses are a thing and that they exist, and he's like, "Ah, don't worry about your weaknesses, just mm-hmm. you know, whatever." Um, and in his head, he thinks about the weaknesses, and all he can think about is he remembers how to kill him. <laughs> um, so there are and there are two different types of weaknesses because it shows all of them, but uh, it's a moral weakness or a physical weakness. Like I can kill them. Uh, those are the two weaknesses that it shows. And the same with strengths. It's combat strength and also moral strength. Just like in general, strengths and weaknesses. So mm-hmm. so basically you're asking, so you want to have a scene next with one of the kids. Um, yes. But you're, you're curious as to how that should go. Like what it should accomplish. Yes. Um, no, less... I, I know what it'll accomplish. It's going to introduce Sophia as the main character of the side right. characters. But I don't know what they should be doing. Well, so Sophia is... Um, I mean, what do you know about Sophia? Um, I mean, she's a leader. Uh, she... Like, I, I don't know how to describe her personality, is but she I a natu- know... She's a natural-born leader, right? She does that instinctively. Yes. Um, she's, a, she's a noble. Yeah, she's just going to be... So I think, I yeah. mean, an easy thing to do would be create a, a problem with the other martyrs and have her solve it by being a leader. Right? Like, just a minor squabble, but, like, initiate that tension that exists. It's going to exist between... I mean, because these are all a bunch of people from different kingdoms, from different cultures, all being forced mm-hmm. to work oh, together. Oh, so what it is is, uh, uh, oh, oh, yeah, it's gonna be Gavin exactly, and um, yeah. Batiana. Yeah, I'm into it. So, but what are they um, doing? I mean, maybe, maybe we, maybe it is them, but it's not like obvious that that's the reason that they have tension. It's just they're they're arguing about something like something something happens, and they're they're arguing about it. So they're they're being toured they're touring through the temple. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of a a situation that might develop. No, I feel like it's gonna be the next oh, okay. day. Yeah, that opens up more possibilities. You have any ideas, Carl?s Yeah. Uh. Yeah, I'm on empty oh. here. I'm trying to think. Well, because I'm trying, I think uh, what I what I'm trying to do is not create something that is. I don't want this chapter to just be, "Hey, this is Sophia." I want it to still continue right. the plot. So oh, what course. they're going to be doing is, Raid is going to be explaining like the powers and trying to teach them the powers, and then they can get into a fight like in the scene after that or something like that, and then she like solves it. I don't want to, it to start where, oh, there's a problem, yeah, this character solves it. Oh, you know, this I mean, character it sounds, can do. Yeah, I want it, it sounds be... like it could be a natural evolution then um, of Raid teaching them. So this is Raid teaching them about all of the powers? Or, like, mm-hmm. what is he explaining exactly? Yeah, he explains, like, the basis of the powers. you like, hey, this is what the power is. 
This is what we're trying to do. And this is what the power does. And there are specifics in the power. Okay. Uh, I should say variations. What about the power. you make? So, I mean, cause obviously this is, this has like religious connotations, all of these abilities and what the, mm -hmm. what's happening here. What if you make one of those characters that's going to get into an argument, not very religious. And they're just like, this is ridiculous. Like this is mumbo jumbo. And like, I can't believe they were actually like t trying to, t we have to take this stuff seriously. Um, like the barrier is not going to fall. That's ridiculous. That sort of thing. Um, and have the other character be super religious and be like, uh, are you kidding me? Like, what kind of an idiot are you sort of a thing? And then have Sophia have to have to step in and calm their nerves. Get them to not be so argumentative towards each other. Yeah, I don't know. That, so, yeah. Just an idea. So there's going to have to be a problem that, yeah. But but like when that's I think that's the thing is is it's what happens and until then because that's that's Sophia we got the Sophia part down what the heck is Ray doing well like, I mean he, so what about what about this then is what he if, just what if, and what if uh, we have that initial scene where he's teaching them about the stuff and then he's like and then it's like all right break break for lunch sort of a thing and then it's like during lunch this happens hmm. right that makes yeah. sense. In which case, should the scene be from Sophia's perspective? Yeah, I, I mean, I think it would or be really interesting yeah, to get um, to see uh, Raid teaching them from an, one of the people's one of the yeah one of the martyrs' perspectives, um, and and get a, a a little bit more of a a read on what Sophia specifically thinks about Raid in, in initial impressions, mm -hmm. because that's going to be exactly. important later on, is because of Sophia's relationship mm -hmm. with him being a uh, yes. hero worship Ray complex yes like Deku and All Might yes so yeah this will be interesting yeah. um yeah I suppose that works and that's a you know that's an easy thing to to rewrite if you figure it a, a different problem that works better for the story, right? Yeah, well, I'm just the the thing for me is that I'm just trying to figure out how Raid is going to teach. Oh, them. sure, yeah. That's Zofia's thing is very easy. I I can very easily take a character and oh, you know, and get into their head and do whatever. But for them to try to accomplish something, um, what do we about what about what about we do this? What if you have Raid and Corvin? Corvin's the, which one's the the priest guy actually? Evanari is the priest. Evanari okay. is the priest. Corvin is the administrator. Um, yes. have him and Evanari tag teaming it. Like he's teach he's teaching them the practical side of it, and and uh, Evanari's bringing up the religious connotations. That would kind of make the. I don't. Oh, actually, that that kind I mean, of that would makes make it, it a little bit more um interesting. So it's not it's not raid like just lecturing them, but it's it's you could have an interesting back and forth. I think it yeah, it would, that it might would, be um I'll play their teaching styles and how they're different. Like you could have Evanaris be like the, what he was trying to say. <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> right, but that big, that creates a tension that wasn't there before and a tension they just talked about. They just talked about this tension of I'm not in charge of you. You're not in charge right, of me. Right, exactly. And so have it, I mean, have it be less, 
they're they're not they're like it's good natured is what I'm trying to get at, right? It's just highlighting their their different styles. Well, no, what I'm saying is Evanari wouldn't say anything right. specifically because of what they just right. Okay, about. I mean, so what what if it was more? I mean, it'd be, it could be a lot more subtle than that, right? Where it's I mean, they're they're tag teaming this, right? And Raid's like, yeah, so this is the way it is. I mean, we're all gonna die if this doesn't happen. And then Evanari's like, <laughs> he 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 goes along with that, but like steers it ever so subtly in a more op- optimistic direction. Um, and again, like not in a, they're, they're combating each other way, but just like they're complimenting each other because of. Right. No, what, what you're saying is that Evanari starts talking as right. well. I mean, they're teaching. I don't, that, that wouldn't happen. No, they're not. They're, they're separate. So the, the raid teaches the magic and Evanari teaches the religious part of it. And, and it's a separate time. Like it's a separate class kind of a thing like if this was my hero academia it's aizawa has his class and all might has his class that's the difference and so they 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 have a they what we what i just set up in the scene okay prior is them having that respect for each other's you know space like yeah like i'm not trying to teach you how to teach your people is this is specifically we respect each other we are going to did you have them talking like what was the scene before that what was the scene before Mm -hmm. that what was the scene before that uh 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 what what's his name corvin and raid talking outside the spire and raid's hands or arms are bleeding oh (laughs) right yeah so i think maybe what you might want to do is um, make that scene of them talking about their differences and stuff happen after this next scene. Change the timing of it. And have it be... Because they're, they're all learning how this is going to work, right? And I think it would be interesting... Like, they, they shouldn't get it right on the first try. I think it would be really interesting to see them try to co-teach something and have it not work right. And then they have that conversation about strengths and weaknesses, and then they decide to make their classes separate. Right. I see what you're saying. I don't know. I just feel like that's not their characters. I feel like Evanari wouldn't be brave enough to be like, hey, and try to. Yeah, I don't know. It just it doesn't seem it seems very natural that they talk about this before anything happens because they're both nervous. Right. And so they talk it out because they're nervous. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. Just a but, suggestion. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, I don't know that. I don't know what we want to do with it. I'll figure it out. I mean, are you sure? <laughs> yeah. Any other specifics? Carl's, what you got? Um, I think I'm gonna read the first part of chapter twenty-two. Okay. Um, just a first note. I was super proud of because I'm naming each chapter at least for now with one, um, like past tense verb, and mm. um, and so the previous chapter, chapter twenty-one was um 
Drew, my main character, returning home from Orion City, where she had been, um, trying, she, she had been working as a roboticist, like, she had been trying to, to get to, mm-hmm. and she had finally figured out how to, um, fix the dome after a, another scene that happened that, um, basically disconnected Adonis from the dome. Right. Um, and so the previous chapter is her coming home to her family, and so I titled it Reunited, and this chapter involves her reconnecting Adonis to the dome, so I called it Reconnected, mm-hmm. and I'm like, that's, like, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Page 84, it looks like. Yeah. Ready? Mm-hmm. Okay. Drew lugged her suitcase through the long, narrow tunnel. A flashlight she had brought back from the city for this very purpose allowed her to see her way through the blackness. She shuddered to think that the last time she had been in this tunnel was to retrieve and bury her mysterious friend's body. Drew had a difficult time even remembering what he had looked like. He was so heavily hooked up to all that machinery that his face was so unrecognizable as anything more than more specific than human. The electronic torch wobbled in her hands as she struggled to balance it and and the heavy and the heavy case while avoiding tripping over the single rail that ran down the center of the tunnel floor. She walked for miles, quickly realizing that her fashionable Orion City sneakers had not been the best option to wear on this trek. It would take some extra adjustment to get used to this dome again, to become accustomed to living here, but right now she had more a more important task to worry about. She had seen more claw marks on the outside of the walls on her way into the dome than she remembered from the greatest murder beast attacks. She wondered if the maintenance men had attempted to repair the gate at all, or if there had been more threats to the dome's security while she was away. Finally, the beam of her flashlight shone upon the metal door as she approached. The console room lay lay mere feet ahead of her, the anticipation built up quicker in her chest. Drew hoisted the case up to the door up to the doorway and set it down, the skin on her fingers finally receiving the relief they had yearned for for miles. They groaned again when she reached for the door's handle, wrapping her fingers around metal and pulling with the strong force she remembered was required. The door flung open and a cold gust of air met Drew's face. A familiar chill, she proceeded through the doorway with ease with with the case. I can't read tonight, apparently. Um shining the flashlight into the dark space. Her eyes were eager to remember what the room looked like. Drew could recall the array of buttons surrounding the center console and the cold metal walls, but her most vivid memories of the room were on that fatal day of Tulis. I haven't decided how I actually pronounce that yet. Um, a sense of urgency returned to her mind from the star eyes, and she set the feeling she set the feeling she let the feeling slide off of her. There's no beast today, no reason to rush anymore. She settled down and set the suitcase suitcase on the cold floor, scanning the console room with the ray of light. Drew located the monitor and approached it, shoulders heavy and eyes tired from following the flashlight's beam for miles on her feet. She reached into the pocket of her jacket and pulled out both drives she had brought back with her. Drew held the drive from a roboticist's office and searched for the port on the console. Locating it, she inserted the small device. A harsh electronic light sprung from the screen and doused her face. Drew let her skin bathed in the monitor's glow and looked around the room again. She could now identify the door behind her. Though wires no no longer ran through the crack below it, Drew emptied her lungs in a deep exhale and recalled the shock of the battle 
from inside the dome itself. The cold seemed to finally seep into her skin, and she shivered. She noticed again the tall ceiling that seemed to extend on forever, stretching to the sky beyond the dome as the darkness fought the invading light and created an illusion of infinite distance. Drew turned back to the monitor, where the screen was struggling to load and identify the information on the drive. She crossed her fingers, hoping that she wouldn't receive a similar error message to the one she had while trying to move Adonis to her computer before she attempted to repair his systems and transfer him to the robot she had created. After several painstaking seconds, a pop-up finally appeared, asking her what she wished to do with the files. Drew downloaded them all from the drive, transferring every file and beginning to augment them into the dome's currently damaged systems. Her eyes danced over the monitor as she worked, meticulously making sure every action was correct. The movements were swifter and smoother than they had once been. She began to recognize what an asset her Orion City training had really been. She understood everything much clearer now, and once alien commands and concepts were now second nature to her mind, and her her fingers followed her train of thought with effortless strokes. And I gotta move down the page. Um, Drew configured the system system files she had created so that they programmed themselves into the damaged dome. Several lights flickered on around the room and from the ceiling above her as they were reluctant to obey as if they were reluctant to obey these unknown systems at first, but giving in after finding no reason not to. The young woman let a light smile hijack her lips and ejected the more modern drive from the ancient computer. She held the other drive up to her eyes from the console where she had set it. I hope I get to talk to you again today, friend, she said, not daring to put enough faith in herself to make the statement sure. I hope you remember me. Drew took another deep breath and lowered the drive to the console, inserting it into the devi- into the device it was familiar with. Another prompting asked her to install the program, and she pressed the final button that rested between the girl and her ancient friend. The whole room sighed in relief, lights pulsing brighter and humming in calm resolution, welcoming the information back home from its long journey. The recognizable acronym flashed across the screen, announcing Adonis's manufactured name in bold proclamation, as if a king was returning to his kingdom from a long war. That's that's cool. where okay. I yeah. I wasn't sure if you were gonna if you were um still going or not. No. I I love the ending part of it. Uh, and and this could just be because I haven't read the rest of it, um, but I felt like you were telling us a bunch of things that we already knew. Yeah, that's kind of yeah, what that's I probably yeah, true. that's kind of what I felt like too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it it you should make it more of a remembrance of feeling rather than a remembrance of knowledge. Yeah, yeah, I noticed that too. I just yeah, I wanted to bring that up. Was was this a, a part you specifically you wanted us to? But, uh, why did you pick this this um, chapter in particular? Because it's nearing the end, and I'm not sure exactly like how I want. If you're to... preparing it right, or yeah, how you yeah. want to end it. Do you know what you want the ending to be? I think so. <laughs> you think so? Okay. Yeah, I mean, I like the build up. I really, really do different. like the build up in this chapter because I mean, you're you're really good yeah. at building vivid word pictures too. Um, yes. And so, yeah. And so it's, it's cool to see, um, I love the last line yeah, more than yeah, anything else. For sure. That's Yay. such a good line. And, and the fact that you, that you 
leave it off there. It's just like, oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, because like, I actually ah. pick up the rest of the scene from another character's point of view. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're a monster. No. <laughs> You're a monster. <laughs> yeah, because I think the only thing was that I didn't quite understand... I mean, you totally told me. You, you, you said, yeah, this is where she reconnects yeah. Aiden, uh, Adonis. But, like, I, I, had, I kind of forgot as we were reading it. And so <laughs> we got to the end, and I was like, oh, right, that's what this is about. And then, yeah, everything made made sense. Because I was like, I was curious as to where it was going. But, yeah, I, I think it works really well, honestly. Okay, so, I mean, yeah. So she had seen more claw marks on the outside of the walls on her way into the dome than she remembered from the greatest murder beast attack attacks. And she wondered if the maintenance men had attempted to repair the gate at all. So, rather than specifying it's about this thing, had there be a piece of it that she notices? Um, maybe I'm not explaining this right. Or maybe I, this no, I think that sentence to... is fine. Um, the one that because because it's the thing, right? It's she'd seen more claw, she'd seen more claw marks on the outside of the walls on her way into the dome than she remembered from the greatest. Greatest murder beast attacks. Yeah, I would say I would say make them more like that. Actually, right? Yeah, because because this is about um, like what what is different from how she remembered it. Um, whereas I'm trying yes. to remember the yeah, and it's it's trying to add more yeah. um urgency to the fact yeah. that the dome no, 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 needs no, to I be like, repaired yeah, I like so that. that it can be secured. The the sentence that I think stood out to me the most of of what we were talking about was, um. She crossed her fingers, hoping that she wouldn't receive a similar error message to the one she had while trying to move Adonis to her computer before she attempted to repair his systems and transfer him to the robot she had created. We know all that already, um, right? Like, I, I yeah. assume that we, we would have known that. So, it, it like, yeah. just she crossed so her fingers, hoping good. that she wouldn't receive a similar error message to the one she had while trying to remove it to move Adonis to her computer, period. Like, you yeah, don't, yeah, you that, don't need yeah. the, the rest of it. Um, <laughs> That's the one that stood out to me. I don't know if there's there is another one, but yeah, no, that's one that stood out to me the most as well. Uh, I'm I wasn't sure if yeah, there was another one or not, but yeah, no, I what I was yeah, I, I I realized while talking about that sentence that you did exactly what I had described, which was funny. Um, yeah, it just it just felt like and it and I say partly because I have no idea, um, like what has happened in this room, but yeah, it just seems like you spent a lot of time. Like and I and, and the buildup is good and the buildup especially of old memories mm-hmm. is exactly what that scene needs. At least, at least I think so. <laughs> right, that's the thing. That's the issue, right? Is we don't we don't have unfortunately the, the whole context of the book, and we don't have yeah. the time unfortunately to read yeah. through eighty pages to get the context. <laughs> but as far as we know, it looks good. Yeah. So, so that's the specific scene, or was there another specific scene that you? Um, like, yeah, mm, I mean, what do the I do scene here? I'm currently writing, which is the back half of this scene, mm-hmm. is a little more challenging because it's like, I'm trying to figure out how, because it's been, so it's been two years since she um, left Xanlis to go to Orion City. So I'm trying to figure out how Adnes is going to respond to basically being like, Oh. dead for two years but like just not connected to the dome this has been two yeah. years i didn't realize that <laughs> how so where's the time skip is there a time skip um you get some of like um i wrote several scenes of her in orion city right kind of in montage okay yeah, yeah. 
And 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 uh, well, okay. Part of me doesn't want you to spoil. You're right, that's <laughs> the issue. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, no, you can ask me ask things, and if I think it's going to spoil something, I can not answer it. <laughs> yeah. And just Rafo us. But, well, read and find out. Rafo. <laughs> I mean, no, I was literally going to ask you, is this person dead yet? Or at all, actually, because I don't even know if you're going to kill off the boyfriend. Oh, That's the oh, question Niles? I was going you're to ask. You're asking if Niles is dead yet? Yeah. Well, I'd see, I, I don't want I the mean, I already knew he died, so. Yeah. We've already had that revealed by this, By about? this point, he's definitely dead. <laughs> oh, I don't remember that. She definitely told us, so. Yeah. Like, just no. today? No. <laughs> In a previous Christian Ernest episode. Oi, what did... Okay, well, yeah. I, I was going to ask what chapter does he die in. No, I don't want to know that either. Hmm. I don't even remember. Yeah. I mean, yeah, so, I mean, uh, is, is Adonis still... Like, is this, like, a person? Is this, right? He's, like, an actual... Yes. Yeah. I mean... Which is why I'm trying to figure out how all Right, of that right. Like, it's still. it's a lot different <laughs> than if it had just been a robot. Like, if it was a robot, it's like yeah. they went to sleep. Right. I think what you should do is you should have him have lost something. Um, like, yeah. have there be a de- 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 definitive consequence for having been unplugged for that yeah. long. Um, I mean, the yeah. easy w- way to go would be, like loss of memory but maybe something even more hurtful than that i i think i actually did kind of i kind of wrote that a little bit and i can alter it so that it fits that but i wrote um as the other character that's that um the the point of view of the other character that i'm writing from for the rest of the scene um when he comes into the room um, then the systems, uh, like, the dome systems, like, don't recognize him and, like, start to attack him. And so I could totally rework that to be him not recognizing that this is a person that lives in this dome that he's supposed to be protecting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I could totally do that. What if he, like, what if, know. yeah, what if he has, like, some sort of hard reset, right? Where it's, like, yeah, almost like he's the same, he's the person that, she initially met and not the person that she got to know. Yeah. Um, so, so she was the one who unplugged him. Correct. Yes. Okay. Yeah. W- was this against his consent? No, it was exactly what he wanted. Okay. But then she didn't plug him in anywhere. At, um, anywhere else. Like what, what was, what was Adonis's perception of how that was going to go down? Okay. So, I guess I'll briefly explain because it makes no sense without the right, context. Yeah. Um, so there's one chapter where um, there's uh, I decided to just call the murder beast. At uh-huh. least for no, now. it's totally fine. I don't um, care. <laughs> <laughs> um, where a, um, a greater murder beast, which is the larger, more terrifying sec- section of the species. Um, Wonderful starts to attack the dome starts to attack the dome but it's like this is like bigger than anyone's ever seen like right. even the people that are used to fighting uh-huh. them are like holy cow what um <laughs> and so um so like the city's trying to fight it and it's hardly doing anything um and then so drew 
like, runs to the console room and is like, why isn't Adonis, like, responding to this? Um, and... And it's because, like, part of the dome has been damaged by it already, mm -hmm. and so he's, like, not, um, like, awake in a way. Um, and so then she, like, tries to, like, tries to wake him up or whatever. And basically he tells her that, um, because he's a psychic, right? Otherwise he wouldn't be a part of this dome. Yeah. And so she has to unplug him from the dome in order for him to use his crazy psychic abilities to kill this thing because the dome dampens those abilities so that he can't use them while he's connected. And then, and he knows that he's going to die after like several seconds of being disconnected because the dome is also what's keeping him alive. Mm -hmm. But, um, and then she, totally into that. in an, <laughs> in an effort to, um, to like keep him, around even though his body is not gonna last like just tries to um like tries to reconnect him to the dome and get whatever information out of the dome as she possibly can like in any hopes that it's like him <laughs> mm -hmm. okay cool yeah so so now basically she's trying to like the guy the guy knew he was gonna die but yeah. now she's trying to resurrect him. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Which is why, I guess now it's easier to explain why I'm having a hard time trying to, like, write the dialogue for um, this current scene. Because um, he... Uh, one of the reasons that he was assimilated into the dome was, like, so willing to be assimilated into the dome is because... He was going to die um, anyways, and the dome was, like, going to keep him alive, and he just was so afraid of death that he didn't want that. Mm -hmm. And so he was like, I'd rather live, like, as long as this dome does than, like, die soon. <laughs> and so, yeah. and so by the end, by the time that that scene comes... It's him being like, I've lived far longer than I ever wanted to. Right. Like, just let me go at this point. And so I don't know how I'm going to write his dialogue when she, like, plugs him back into the dome. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so, th I mean, th this honestly gets into questions of, like, philosophy and, like, yeah. what, like, do, is this, does this world have an actual like Christian afterlife situation. Like, did he actually die? Like what, like how, how to like write that, that those are the questions um, that maybe you have to ask. Cause that will maybe color. Yeah. Like, what did he experience? Did he experience just nothing or did he like, what actually happened? I assume that he didn't die. Maybe, maybe because, and, and this is totally, probably not something we're going to use at all because it kind of changes a lot of things but maybe he died and she realizes that and so she realizes is if if he's really dead then yeah, this isn't I, him. I think that should be it i think that should be the mm. thing this isn't i think maybe what happens is she ends up creating <laughs> him as an actual artificial intelligence and not a person anymore yeah. right 
And maybe the ending of the story is her coming to grips with that and then just being like, you're not him. Right? Like, he doesn't have the depth of character. And for a while, it could even seem like him. Right. Just because he always seemed artificial to some degree. Oh, my gosh. Right. I might, totally might use Mm -hmm. that. Because I have the last scene, like pretty much planned out in my head mm-hmm. and it could work either yep. whichever like ending I decide to go with like whichever way I like if I decide to have him like remain in the dome or if I decide to have him like, right. not yeah so it could right. totally just be her like the second to last scene is her like um like realizing that it's not really him and just completely shutting him down and deciding to just maintain the dome like on her own because now she has the skills to do so Uh uh-huh yeah that makes more sense (laughs) yeah i'm into it cool cool i'm excited to read this book (laughs) yep december is a coming (laughs) i might cry (laughs) We'll see. What do you mean? When you read your book? Oh, okay. Yeah. I might I, I might just cry, make, like, cry when so, November realizes that. <laughs> yeah. There's several scenes where I've like almost cried while writing. Oh, I feel that. Yeah. <laughs> I almost cried just thinking about a thought about a scene once. <laughs> yeah. For my book. Just like like uh, sometime this this last week. I I was, uh, oh, I think it was just like Friday night, actually. I I thought of a scene for uh, um, the book. I don't remember exactly what it was. That's what I'm trying to remember. <laughs> of, uh, oh, I, I, I thought of, a, I thought of what if one of Raid's uh, students died? And I was like, how would that look? And I just figured that he would just be there and see that she's dead. Or, or him, I don't know. I just, in my mind, I was just thinking, I don't know. Uh, so there's a specific character that's dead, and he's like, oh my goodness. Like, I can't believe that, like, this happened. I can't believe I let this happen. He feels so responsible. And he, like, just goes down and is just, like, on his knees, just sitting before the body. And he, he remembers, he recalls to us, like, all these different things are going through his head. And he recalls a specific line that somebody told him of like you can't always save everybody raid and he's just like yep and i knew that and i i was not prepared for this even then um and then like he he thinks about like his love and hate thing and he always is like going for one of them and so he's like what he wanted to do in that moment was to hate whoever killed the um um that person um and I think I think it was a thing of like, but he doesn't know, and so, so he's, only he's like, love for there's for the person who died. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's a it, yeah. yeah, that's what it is, and so and so it's a thing of like, there's nobody to hate right now. I don't want to hate them. But I don't want to hate myself. Too much. I don't. Right, but loving hurts too much, and so he's like, but I guess really the only option yeah. is love at this point. And I think I think yeah, I think that's the main uh, thing of his character is he does. His hatred is more powerful than his love. Um, 
he he gives more to his hatred than his love because he's afraid to love people because he's afraid to hurt Mm -hmm. them with his hatred and i feel like that's probably his his story that i and i probably haven't i just i know that in my soul but i haven't put that into words in my brain yet like that's that's just the way it's going but uh i love how you didn't even just thought that the line would just i know in my soul (laughs) yeah yeah um yeah i'm connected to these characters man no but uh I ju- the line that I almost started crying to is just then he's just like yeah so I, I have to just have love for this person and so he's just like so I guess so I guess love will just have to do for now and then uh, he just like slumps down and cradles the body and just like one tear or yeah br- br- yeah he, he starts crying and uh, as, uh, I had some specific line in my head of like the last part of the scene of like him him crying and i just thought of that line and i was just like and i like almost cried and i was like what the heck mm-hmm. so yeah i hope that uh yeah so far so far writing this does the same thing Flip for me skyward again has been pretty clinical for me because i'm, I'm often going back through have rehashing a lot of stuff i'd already written a bunch of times um but i just finished writing a chapter today i did a writing session before this and holy crap, there was a lot of emotion that happened there. And I got to the end of the chapter and I wrote a bunch of really, yeah. really just kind of raw sentences. And I was like, mm, I feel uncomfortable right now. Um, but yeah. Got anything else, Carl's? Or is that um, just kind of piggybacking on what mm-hmm. Connor was saying? I don't think I'm connected enough to some of my characters. Mm-hmm. Like. Mm. Kill him off then. <laughs> I can't kill Drew. <laughs> I mean, you could. Oh. I mean, I could, but you're not gonna yeah, kill no, the main character off in the title. <laughs> well, name one but movie. This is my third movie, name man. One movie where they Spider-Man kill the title Trace character Amigo. off at the end. Old Yeller. Old Yeller. Donnie Darko. <laughs> Donnie Darko. Yeah, I didn't think so. <laughs> Sorry. We're um, but yeah, I, I don't know what it is about true i just don't she's like too bland i think Mm. like she's not i don't know she's not interesting enough right you have the harry potter protagonist syndrome where it's like they're a blank slate so that they're because protagonists are never as interesting as (laughs) as the side characters well okay what i mean then you just have to ask yourself of like yeah the side characters are more interesting and that's a problem you don't like that right (laughs) so what makes the side characters interesting and then just apply that to drew they're grumpy (laughs) they're more grumpy (laughs) they're drew is too optimistic is that what you're saying well she's not though like she hates this planet that she's on and she's like i want to leave but like but all that's inward uh, yeah Exactly. So maybe she tends spends more time being introspective than, than yeah, like getting it out. I mean, maybe like yeah, find find some ways to, um, to let her externalize that somewhat, right? Give her yeah. give her yeah. chances to to show that and maybe hurt people or hurt herself by externalizing it. Um, and then it emphasizes the fact that this is why she only internalizes. Yeah, I mean, it depends on what you're going for, because I, I don't know the context of the character exactly, but... <gasps> That's what it is! That's how she discovers the fact that he's not there, that he's dead, is that he can't internalize. He's only external. 
There is nothing going on on the inside. And because that's all Drew's character really mm-hmm. is. I feel like we may be all making about more introspection about introspection and... than is actually there in the book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's what I, I'm getting the vibe from you. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. Yeah, I mean, honestly, yeah, it like that. I mean, that's a legitimate problem for protagonists to be more like blander than their side characters. <laughs> I mean, that's like most of the writing advice I've heard would tell would tell me to make one of the side characters the main character then and just get rid of Drew. But I feel like that's kind of <laughs> drastic at this point. <laughs> yeah. Um. Well, so what? What things? What things are interesting <laughs> about Drew? Um, what, what things do you like about Drew? Um, sh- very quickly into the book, she, after she has like one more introspective, like scene. Um, well, that okay. That is one thing. When she she externalizes things by songwriting. Um, mm-hmm. which she always, even though she does it, she feels like it's useless and she never shares it because, like, it's not a useful thing yeah. on Xanlis. But, um... That's right. Yeah. Um... Just like but... playing video games. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm definitely... I haven't done this yet, but I'm definitely gonna make like have a Dylan cameo on a Ryan City. Have a Dylan Easter egg Dylan in there Easter somewhere. Egg, like yes. she looks at like a TV screen, and there's like Dylan. Yes. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um, and she's probably gonna look up to Dylan a little bit, even though she knows nothing else about her other than she's from Zanlis and she made a life for herself. Yeah. Um, but um, what was I saying? <laughs> She should be envious of her, rather. Yeah, honestly, that's... I feel like that's what yeah, Drew would feel more. I, I kind of wanted... Yeah, I kind of wanted her to have some kind of, like, anger towards her, just because it's like, you got out and I didn't. Yeah. But, um... Um... What was I saying before? Crap. Um... Uh, oh, yeah. Um, quickly into the book, she, um, she's like, okay, I need to, like, I've already kind of externalized, like, the fact that I don't want to be here without my best friend, um, so I'm gonna go to a weapons shop and get a pistol and try to learn to shoot so that I can be in the Ryan City Police Force, too, Mm. and then, um... Cause that's all it takes and to be so in she a starts, police force. Just be able <laughs> yeah. to shoot people. Um, yeah, which shows that she's a little naive. Yeah. But um, um, but then that scene also builds an interesting relationship with the owner of the shop as a sure. character, which I ended up using more than I thought I would. But um, um, but like that shows that like even though she's like discontent, like she cares enough to like actually do something about mm-hmm. it. But I don't know if I've, like, carried that through enough so that, like, she's continually like that. Because I want her to be more, like, um, like, I hate this, so I'm gonna try to change this. But she, like, throughout the rest of it, she's kind of just been, like, I'm gonna continue to use whatever I know. And if that doesn't work, then I'm just gonna, like, wallow in, (laughs) wallow in my grief, um... 
So I don't know how to like, I, I want her to be more like angsty and witty, but like in a way that makes her interesting and not like annoying. Yeah. Um, what I would do is I would find, I mean, those, some of those things that you've mentioned about her, emphasize them more, make them more prominent, and then maybe go through the INFP personality strengths and weaknesses page and find a couple of those and be like, let's, let's put a bit of this in there. Like, oh, maybe too idealistic, impractical, just like dealing with that data, these, you know, little things in here that might bring out more of the subtle personalizing that you, I'm sure you've been doing, but make it more yeah prominent um which most the, of yeah, that is gonna be something else second draft right but. no no i mean yeah that makes sense yeah right yeah uh something that i always did with uh, the soul thief book when i was writing it is i had like a uh i pulled out like some sort of uh uh i don't know i don't know what to call it but like I had for each character like a list of a bunch of things. So, uh, and like I had a bunch of questions pretty much of like, uh, like how competent is your character? How, how blank is your character? What's your character's favorite blank? What's your character's worst blank? You know, and all these different questions. And so I had them filled out for each and every character. So maybe Google something like that. And I, I honestly though, this should probably be more for your second draft than for now. But like, that's something that always uh, helped me is I was able to then go to a page and be like, oh, right. This is what I wanted my character to be. Yeah, I would I, I would emphasize more along the lines of things that are currently that are that are most likely relevant to the story you're telling and less about like what's her favorite color, because that's not going to be as important as yeah. like some of the things that define why she views yeah. the world the way she does those sorts of bigger things. Right. Yeah. Well, it could if she were used the world in black and white. Just she has to pick her favorite color between the two. <laughs> wow. No, I, I for me there was a bunch of things that I put in there that was something like your favorite color that didn't matter at all. Uh, but because I knew that they were more of a person. You know, yeah, to a couple me. of those can be really and helpful. So it's just I didn't have I think to feel like spending too those, much time on yeah. them could could distract from. Oh yeah, yeah obviously the that's the character. Yeah. Then it's just like, hmm, what is their favorite color? And it's Figure like, out all that their favorite foods. But if you're like, favorite, yeah. if, if you're like, oh, this would be her favorite blank because she's this. That's more helpful. Is this something? Oh, instantly it comes to your mind of, ah, this is why she does this mm-hmm. because she's this. This is why she likes this thing because I want her to be this. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that sounds like a, a second draft thing that you'll have to have to work through. And honestly, I feel yeah. like, um, yeah. <laughs> uh li- or i was gonna say listener um reader feedback will be really helpful for that because you can ask them right like how interesting is drew yeah, to you true. and then try to get yeah. some direct feedback yeah on, on that <laughs> which like i, think I feel like everybody's favorite character she was a lot more interesting because mm-hmm. like i had a friend mm-hmm. read over it and she was like yes right. like, i'm super into these characters and so i need to like yeah, I need to incorporate more of right. I can I can I definitely see how that could be a thing, right? Because like once yeah. you get into the main plot, then you start being like, all right, this character is a vessel yeah. to move the plot along, yeah. and not much else. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, but that I means you're right. It's it's always about tying the character back to why the plot is important, right? Don't make yeah. don't make a plot right. happen to a character. Make the character happen to the plot. 
That was pretty profound. <laughs> cool. Is that it? Uh, I think so. Okay. Cool stuff. I'm trying to decide how much I want you to read. <laughs> Trying to figure out, let's see, how much, how many words was that section that you had us read? Trying to get a gauge here of how much time we have. Yeah, I feel like this one isn't terribly difficult. Um... So um, the the chapters that I was just writing and talking about for Flick Skyward, um, Danis, um, starting with her character. The first chapter is basically like, all right, here is Danis. She is a soldier in the cast, the warborn cast, um, and she is leading this rebellion, hiding it from everybody. Um, and so she like went to the caves that they have the rebellion in. We got some information about what the rebellion is, why they're there, how they keep hidden, that sort of stuff. And then she, she met up with her, her husband, um, the, the guy who's kind of the leader of the rebellion. Um, like he's, he's a, he's a pretty like commander type sort of person. He's good at leading people. And so he, um, he's kind of been the face of the rebellion and she's like, you know, helping him out kind of a thing. Um, and uh it's it's both of their brainchilds like they they were the ones who started the rebellion but he's kind of like the charismatic leader and she's like the the background person um and so we have that happening um and and then i have her um i have them go back to like the main compound or because they were both on like patrol or whatever and they have to like go back and like like check in and make, make, finish their patrol or whatever because they kind of snuck away to be to go to the, the rebellion and check in on it. Um, and I have him. So the thing that needs needed to happen, and I was trying to decide how it was going to happen was Danis needs to be the one instead of a, uh, of a her husband who like gets the promotion and goes skyward. And I planned it that, that way that like for this new draft that originally it was her husband who was going to do it because that makes the most sense. He was like a legit captain. He could have gotten a promotion pretty easily. And he was in the process of doing that. But then I wanted him to end up dying so that she had to do it instead. And she's a much, she's not as skilled as he is in that area. She, she doesn't have, um, and, and he's, she's honestly a lot more violent and angry than he is. And so it would just like, it, 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 it creates an interesting tension because she, like it, it creates a situation where she has to pick up the slack and do something that she wasn't supposed to do and then deal with the consequences of being the wrong person in the role. Um, but so in the process of trying to decide how that was going to go down in the initial draft, it was like, Oh, Aethior gets randomly dominated by some unknown speaker and tries to kill Danis and Danis has to kill him instead. It's tragic. But I was like, okay, but that doesn't make any sense because if they, if they were like, wow, he got dominated, they'd be like, okay, the rebellion's over. We're found out. And then when it that didn't happen, they'd be like, what is going on? It just wouldn't make a whole lot of sense. They wouldn't like really go on with the plan if they thought their rebellion was in jeopardy. And so I was like, okay, well, it's an interesting way that I could get him out of the picture and her have to take up, pick up the slack. 
And so I had this like new recruit that had just joined the rebellion. It was introduced in chapter one. Basically, um, he was like a thief. He was like a warborn guy who was like stole from like the officer's pantry and got caught. But then uh, Danis's husband manages to like sneak him away and get him to the rebellion instead of being executed. And so I have the the end of chapter one being uh, Danis is like, uh, uh, like gets to the compound and then her husband is like called in and like take like shoved into the commander's office and is like, yeah, you're arrested basically. Like, because we found out that you were, that you were responsible for like making sure this guy didn't get executed. And like, that's your, you're a traitor. Um, but she doesn't get implicated because it was kind of him who, who initiated that. And so it, the, the trail led back to him. And so then that's where this chapter starts. And I kind of want to just read through it. It's not, not a, a long chapter, but I want to get a, a feel for like how, how it works, how the buildup for what Danis is doing in this chapter works and the, the slow kind of buildup to like realization for what's happening. I want to see kind of how that works, if that is cool with you guys. Uh, you yeah, do you have a link to it? Yeah, do you have a link to uh, it? Right. No, definitely not. Of course <laughs> I don't. Okay, uh-huh. while you're pulling that up, I have orange juice all over my hand. Okay. I'm going to wash my hands. <laughs> Good luck. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I totally have to make a Google Doc for this. I was slacking on that. Okay. Okay. Let me end this. The link is in the Christian Artifact. Okie dokie. Danis slipped the note inside the crevice, glancing around to make sure no one was watching. Her palms were sweaty and her fingers trembled as she slipped her hand back out and she took a deep breath to hold back the nausea she felt. She didn't know if she had had make <laughs> had made the right decision, but she needed to make some sort of decision, or else everything they had worked for would crumble overnight. She extracted herself from where she stood against the rock formation and took a high step off a ledge, trotting back over to her, over to the path. The night was her friend these days, hiding her nearly as well as the caves did. Unfortunately, it was dangerous to be out and about at such a late hour. She was out past curfew, and if she was caught, she would be killed on the spot. But a sanctioned patrols toured the lower city with Everglow to go without being noticed by anyone above at this time of night. Uh, wait. I, I realize that I... I cut a line, and that line doesn't make sense now. Let's see where she had left her Everglow. We'll have to look at that again. Anyway. Um, anyway, she had to risk it this time. <laughs> she had to risk it this time. It was a do-or-die situation already. 
Dana started off back towards the house she and her husband shared in the Warborn District, trying to shove down her emotions. She was on the verge of being overwhelmed that she didn't have time for that. Better to feel nothing in this whirlwind. Wait, what? I must have written this late at night, because I'm finding sentences where I'm just like, what, what do you mean to say, Caleb? Um, uh, let's see. I don't know what that was supposed to say. Oh, I get no, it. Better to I feel nothing than this yeah. whirlwind. Right, yeah. she's trying to shove down her emotions. So it's better to feel nothing than this whirlwind. Because who's who's tired? Past yeah. you or real you? <laughs> because she's an ISTJ, Connor. Oh, that's another Wait. thing I want you to to pay attention to, Connor. Ask me, like, uh, not ask. Uh, I want feedback on like whether or not this is an accurate proof of ISTJ. Um, okay. And, uh, sorry. Okay. So the sky above her was cloudy, hiding any stars that might be looking down at her, and dimming the lights of the moons to a dim dim glaze. I don't know why I used the word dim two times. Man, this is going well. Um, that made her feel just a bit better, as if the sky itself was lending to her stealth. She made her way down the road as fast as she dared, ducking around a rock formation or a ledge anytime she heard anything vaguely resembling a noise, and eventually found herself back in the residential block where her and Aethyr's quarters were waiting. She stepped quietly up to the back of the house, putting a hand to its cold stone surface and squeezing up the lift of the roof above her. She had sneaked out through the roof access initially, but it was much easier going down than up on a building like this. The distance between the ground and the roof was just a bit too high, and the surface was just a bit too sheer to lend to easy climbing. She didn't want to give any of her neighbors any reason to suspect there was someone out after curfew, but she couldn't exactly just walk in her front door. She put her hands on the windowsill next to her and heaved herself up as quietly as she could until she could set one knee up on the sill and hoist her body up the rest of the way until her feet were on the window and her hands were searching the wall above it, looking for a handhold. She didn't find anything, at least on this section of the wall. She lowered herself down again and began to search with her hands along the wall at the back of the building, teeth gritted in frustration as she slowly began to realize that the wall was just a bit too sheer to climb with more without more effort than she could give while trying to remain silent. She stood for a moment before glancing around the corner, down the alley between her house and the one next to it, towards the dark street. Could she risk it? Would anyone be looking out at this hour? She stood still and listened, trying to filter out, all, filter out all of the ambient noise of the lower city, bugs and frogs and lizards mostly, to find the one that would mean her discovery, a patrol. She was just about to step out into the alley when a lone soldier appeared in her sight as she peered out of the street. She ducked behind her of the house again and forgot to breathe for a second, ears straining to hear the sound of alarm that would begin the chain of events that would lead to her death. Even though she was warborn now, she wouldn't be given any slack, not in the lower city. After what felt like a lifetime, the sound of soft footsteps that she had first mistaken for a lizard scrabbling at the dirt faded, and she let out the air she had been hiding in her lungs. She let the rest of her come out of hiding, and stepped lightly but quickly around the corner, pushing the front door open and stepping inside in a silent flurry of motion. She creaked the door closed behind her and stood there, recuperating. Eventually, she stepped further into the dark house, making her way up the stairs to a small room on the second floor that held little else but a desk and a few poorly bound books. She grabbed the sheet of paper and set it down on the desk next to the next to pen, next to a pen and an inkwell. She sat down and grabbed the pen, dipping it into the inkwell. Then she stared at the blank page. Her whirlwind of emotions quieted down to a small frittering breeze. She took a deep breath and then started writing a query to the commander on her promotion. That's the next scene. The, next pa the night passed for Dana sleeplessly, but the dawn came far too soon anyway. She rolled out of her simple bed mat and ran ahead through her hair, closing, ran a hand through her hair, closing her eyes and trying to prepare herself for what the day would undoubtedly bring. Sunlight filtered in through a window and illuminated, illuminated her like the halo around an ancient listener in some forgotten portrait. She sighed and left the room, snatching the finished letter off the desk as she made her way downstairs. 
The spaciousness of the house was damning, and she tried to put away, push away the dozens of memories that began to trigger about each and every corner of the place. She couldn't afford to be sentimental at a time like this. She had to do like her father had done. She had to do what must be done for the cause. She slammed open the door and shut it just as fiercely behind her, as if shutting up the horror that had been welling up inside her chest, inside. Uh, that's not... I didn't read that right. As if shutting up the horror that had been welling up in her chest, inside. She gritted her teeth and dared the feeling to follow her. Thankfully, it, it did. The streets of the district were relatively quiet this morning, and she passed only a few straggling warborn, running late for a shift, or hiding out early to a food vendor for the morning allowance, a few bits in their clenched fists. She followed one of the latter down the street, around a corner, and off to the border of the Warborn district. She stepped. She stopped when she the squat building he had been heading to, almost surprised as he made his way through the door. Uh, just to specify that's actually her that's being paralyzed. Her body almost paralyzed as he made his way through the door, counting just the copper in his palm. Dana stared at the door, knowing that once she stepped inside, there was no turning back. Never tire of doing good, she heard her father's words repeat in her head. Even when good seems wrong, she finished in her own thoughts. She clenched her fist at her side and strode forward, determined to see her, her plan through. The door swung open and she was greeted by a familiar sight. The building was entirely utilitarian, with identical wooden benches and tables lined up in the main hall, ending with a counter at the back of the room where a few kitchen hands worked, preparing food for the morning allowance. A small corridor led further into the building, though not much was back there. It was mostly used as a place to load and store the rations for the day when they were delivered. The soldiers she had been following was handing over his copper bits to a tall man with his hair drawn back and a ponytail. Nast. The rat-faced man handed the soldier a plate with some spirit grain bread and thin slices of goat cheese and then a bowl of soup as his companion. Isn't there anything more? The soldier grumbled, looking distastefully down at his helpings. Last week you had jerky. Days remembered that. It hadn't been terribly good, but it had been something different from the usual fare. Nast shrugged. I only get what the distribution centers give me. Sorry, friend. The soldier swore and gave Nast a dirty look, but didn't press further, instead grabbing his meal and sitting down at one of the tables. Nast looked across the room at Danis, face blank. Danis made her way to the, made her way to the counter and made as if to get made as if getting out some coin herself from the pouch at her waist. Is he here? she said under her breath as she reached the counter, then in a normal voice continued, I'll have some vegetables I'll have some of those vegetables you were serving yesterday. Nast nodded his head towards the back room. The vegetables are in the back. They're not pretty, but there's quite a few choices. Let me show you. That'll be easier than listing them off. Dana's grunted and allowed herself to be led around the corner and into the back room. She glanced behind her and noted the soldier at the table eyeing her darkly, as if Nast was going to give her some jerky behind his back. She ignored him and stepped around the corner. Inside the back room were crates full of bread, barrels with ingredients for a sparse soup, and a few sacks of vegetables, among other things. There was also a very nervous young man, dressed in a simple laborer's outfit. He glanced up at her with apprehension, then his gaze darted to Nast, then back at her again. Calm down, soldier, Nast whispered, holding up a hand to ease his, his anxiety. Danis wants to have a conversation with you. I'm sure you didn't do anything wrong. Why bring out here then? Why bring me out here then? Back where they can find me, the adolescent said, his voice as shaky as his hands. Keep your voice down, Danis ordered in a hiss. Why? What's going on? Danis stepped up to him and pressed a hand to his throat, pushing him back against the wall firmly but quietly. Don't make me repeat myself, soldier. Do you want that soldier outside to hear, hear you? I think he was from your squad back, back back you were outcast. She had thought he looked familiar, but seeing this young man's face again gave her the context to remember the face for certain. She had seen both of them laughing at a joke once several months back. Maybe they had been friends before he had stolen from the officers. Listen to the woman, Nicholas. Nast warned from behind Danis. Right, Nicholas. That was the boy's name. 
She could usually remember every one of her people's names, but she po- she supposed she hadn't really made the switch in her head to really add Nicholas to the ranks. He was still a foreigner to her. That was probably for the best. Nicholas tried to say something, but it was choked back by Danis' arm against his windpipe. He just nodded his head, eyes fearful. Danis gave him a grim look and then released him. He coughed once, then put a hand to his mouth, trying to stop himself from making any more noise. After he regained his composure, he looked back up at Danis and whispered, What do you want me to do, ma'am? I want you to come with me, she said, holding up a hand before she any more protest. And before you freak out, hear me out. Captain Aether is in danger, and only you can help him. I need you to listen carefully. Can you do that for me, Nicholas? Nicholas hesitated, then nodded. Danis knew that the young man had a hero worship complex directed towards Aethiar, so hopefully this would work. I need you to come with me, disguised, of course, to the Warborn compound. I know that will be dangerous for you, but I'm desperate. Aethiar is imprisoned there, and I need your help to help him escape. Do you think you can do that for me? Nicholas swallowed hard. I don't understand. How can I help you? I need someone to watch his back, Nicholas, and you have shown yourself to be trustworthy. I know that you would do anything to help Aethiar, and so he needs you now. We may have to fight our way out, but hopefully it won't come to that. I'll have your back if you have mine, Nicholas. Do you understand me? She tried to speak in even tones, calming and reassuring, reassuring, but even she cringed as she heard the cold, emotionless, and hardly convincing speech reverberate in the room. Nicholas stared at her. He swallowed again. What about their promotion? Won't the plan fall apart if we break Aethior out? Danis grunted softly to herself. The plan's already ruined. The best we can do now is break Aethior out and go into hiding ourselves. Hopefully Nast and the others will be, will be enough to be our window to the outside world for now. We'll have to think of something else in the meantime. Danis could feel Nast's gaze behind her, as if it was the acidic poison from an Anelda mushroom burning into her back. He believed about, he believed about as much as she did herself. Can I count on you? Danis continued, her hard gaze boring to Nicholas. No, I'm sorry, Nicholas said finally, breaking the staring contest and looking down at the floor, face going pale. There has to be someone else who could do this. I, I don't know why you would choose me. It, it doesn't make any sense. Dana sighed. She had been afraid of this. She stepped closer to the young soldier, closing the space between them, which had already been uncomfortably short, and breathed out and breathing out a hiss of a breath that made Nicholas wince as the air from her lungs danced across the skin of his neck. Why was Ithior captured anyway? Nicholas said, starting to hyperventilate as he tried to melt into the wall behind him. Was it... Was it because of me? Did they find out... His voice trailed off, and the room grew deathly silent. I guess we're going to have to do this the hard way, Dana said. Nicholas glanced up, staring at her in horrible realization. She grabbed a fistful of his hair and slammed his skull against the wall. Nicholas's eyes rolled back in his head, and he slumped to the ground, out cold. Danis looked down at his unconscious body for a moment before sighing again and swearing under her breath. I'm a terrible liar. What are you doing, Danis? Nas said from behind her, voice cold as ice. Only what I have to. Dana said as she reached down and grabbed Nicholas by the armpits, hoisting him over her shoulder with a grunt, just like always. Danis dumped this is a scene skip. Danis dumped Nicholas onto the floor of the lobby of the Lower City's Garrison little Lower City Garrison's compound, her breathing heavy and her body slick with sweat from the effort of carrying him from Nast's shop. She looked up to the clerk at duty and gestured to the body on the stone floor. Can you get someone to deal with this thief? she said. The clerk, the clerk swore in surprise as he realized what was happening. The man hurried from the room, calling for someone to help. Dana sighed and went over to the wall, slumping against it and hugging her knees in exhaustion. Nicholas wasn't all that heavy, but he was heavy enough. Danis was glad for the ache in her muscles, however. It helped her ignore the other sorts of pain she was feeling. The clerk came back with a sergeant, and Danis got to her feet with a wobble. I have, sir, I have brought Nicholas, the thief that stole from the officer's pantry earlier last month. 
The sergeant stared in disbelief for a moment, and then shook his head as if clearing away a fog. Um, I suppose the commander will want to see this. I guess we should bring the thief to his office? Thanus bit back a retort about making the commander come here, instead reaching down to lift Nicholas again. Can you get his legs? He's pretty knocked out. I can see that, the sergeant said, joining Danis and carrying the young man. They carried the soldier down the hallway toward Commander Vall's office, and the, and the sergeant, aiding, aiding Danis, barked out an order to the guard at the door to open it for them. The soldier hesitated for a moment and then rushed to do as he was commanded. Danis and the sergeant set Nicholas unceremoniously in front of the commander's desk, drawing an alarmed, what is going on here, from Vall as he stood up from writing something. Commander Vall, sir... I apologize for the intrusion, but I brought you Nicholas, the thief that stole from the officer's pantry la earlier last month. Vol did not look pleased, but stepped around his desk to inspect the unconscious soldier. He looked down distastefully at the young man, sniffing in disdain. How did you find him, soldier? Danis considered for a moment trying to lie to the man, but then she remembered what a dismal failure that tactic had been with Nicholas and rethought her approach. Sir, Captain Ethior and I have been hiding the thief from everyone and feeding him against the will of the state. I was against my husband rec rescuing Nicholas, but he insisted, and I was weak, and I went along with it. I realized my error, and I am throwing myself at your mercy. She bowed her head in what she hoped was deference. Commander Vall stared at her with wide eyes. You. What? Danis decided to play up the act just a bit more and got down to her knees before the commander. Please, sir. I am begging for your mercy in this matter. I hope that you will take this restoration of justice in consideration. What are you saying? Vol said, shaking his head. You want me to pardon you and your husband? You realize that I can't just... No, Dana said firmly, looking back up at him. Captain Athior is a traitor and an unrepentant criminal. Legally, he deserves execution, and I admit that I most likely do as well, but there's leniency in this matter in the law, and I pray that you will find it in your heart to exercise your authority here and spare me from my husband's fate. Vol continued to stare at her, though his face took on a thoughtful frown. What Danis had said was true. It was technically within the commander's jurisdiction to forgive an accomplice to a crime like this where he could not forgive the main perpetrator. All of this had been a tremendous risk, of course, but it was the only chance she'd, ha she'd had at saving the plan. Danis met his gaze, refusing to stand down even in asking for forgiveness. For this to work, she had to be strong. She had to be so indomitable that he was convinced that he couldn't afford to lose her. Vol had to be persuaded of her worth, both as a lo loyal subject and as an individual who was willing to do whatever it took to rise higher in the ranks. It was that peculiar mix of patriotism and ambition that characterized the warborn most. Danis was honestly disgusted by it, but she would play to it if she had to. Vol jerked his head towards the sergeant who had helped Danis, indicating that she should take Nicholas, who was still lying on the ground, unconscious. The sergeant gestured at one, one, one of the door guards, who was watching with fascination from the, from the doorway. The man jumped as he realized he had been caught eavesdropping, but did as ordered. Nicholas was hauled away in a matter of seconds, leaving Vol and Danis alone. The commander waved a hand at the other door guard, and the young man, the young woman closed the door. Danis knew that saying more wouldn't add to her case, and so she just continued to kneel, waiting for Vol to give his verdict. The commander stepped back behind the desk and placed a hand in the back of his chair, still seemingly lost in thought. Finally, he looked back down at Danis. Did you set this all up, Danis? He raised. He said, raising an eyebrow. Did you do all of this as some sort of power play? Get out of your husband's shadow? Danis shook her head slowly. I did not, sir. <clears throat> I did not, sir, though I do not deny that the outcome of this meeting could mean a step up for me. She pursed her lips. I believe that the state rewards those who that choose loyalty to caste over loyalty to family. It does indeed, Vol said, grunting. <sighs> he glanced down at the letter he had been writing. I was just informing the Middle City garrison of the cancellation of Captain Athier's appointment. Is there something else you would like me to add to my missive? 
Dana swallowed back a wave of nausea. There is, sir. She got to her feet, reaching into her trousers, reached into her trousers and produced the letter she had drafted the night before. She placed it on the, de on the desk in front of all. He stared at it for a moment before looking back with, at her with an expression that betrayed a hint of amusement. Danis felt like she was on fire, and the ache in her muscles was no cloak this time. You just missed me, Danis, he said, saluting her almost nonchalantly. Danis saluted back rather stiffly and turned to leave. Oh, and Danis? Danis turned back and saw Val with a full smile on his face. My condolences on your loss. He looked down again at the letter Danis had sat before him. And congratulations on your promotion. Danis nodded and hurriedly left the room. She started walking briskly down the hallway as her nausea rose. Her mouth grew damp. She had just made it around the corner when she clamped a hand to her mouth and swallowed to try to hold back her vomit. She saw a door and threw it open, throwing herself into the storage room beyond. She heaved onto the floor once, twice, three times, as much as, as much sobbing as it was retching. Vomit spilled onto the floor, and when there was nothing left in her stomach, she coughed up bile in between her shaky breaths. Never tire of doing good. Dana slumped against the wall next to the contents of her stomach and cried. Yeah, that was great. Kind of... Yeah, yeah, that yeah. was great. Does that does that work as like a like what what was the moment that you realized what was going on? Uh, I don't know. Like, was it immediately apparent? Um. Um, no, I don't think it was apparent until until they suggested it. But I, I didn't feel like I was in the dark. I didn't feel okay. cheated by anything. Yeah. But but I also gave you some lacks because I haven't read yeah. those before. So I, I just was like, okay, so seriously, there's something that happened that I don't know about yet. Well, that's the thing. In the, the rest this chapter, I gave it. you all the context you needed in my initial description mm -hmm. for this. Um, so it's supposed to be a little bit vague on... Right, like she, okay. there's a time skip in between the last chapter and this chapter where she does something that, like, is not kind of revealed, right? So she, she the chapter begins with her okay. slipping a note inside a crevice, right? Because she was contacting Nast to bring the soldier from the caves, basically, is what was happening. Uh, right. So, and then, yeah, set up this whole thing. Uh, but yeah, right, so you basically get what's what's going on here and... Yeah, okay. yeah. Oh, I liked it. Okay, cool. Yeah, because her her whole thing basically is that like the whole the whole arc for her is like she does she does whatever it takes to do this plan because she thinks it will be for the greater good, and then she kind of loses herself along the way. Um, yeah. So, um, what do you think about it being a portrayal of an ISTJ? I thought it was very good. Uh, I there was. There is one part of me that would have said that she wouldn't have noticed the moon, um, but all no, but but then I thought against it uh, because not all ISTJs are like me, and that's something that I think mm -hmm. an ISTJ would do. Uh, but then again, now that I'm thinking about it even more now, I feel like I definitely would notice the moon's stealthing right. me. Like that's right, something exactly. I definitely yeah. would have thought of. So yeah. Okay. Cool. You should totally record an audiobook for this once it's done. <laughs> <laughs> That's the plan. Yeah. And maybe I'll actually have, you know, the drafts done where I'll, I won't repeat so many words in a row and 
I was re- like reading the reading stuff out loud really makes you realize all the yeah. little yep. weird things about yep. what you wrote. That's that's why yeah. people should just read out loud more. Yeah. Uh, okay. Cool. That was good. Yeah, that's basically all. I just wanted to make sure that worked because it, it wasn't a part of my original outline, and I wasn't sure if it yeah. set up the right expectations or whatever. But I I, I liked it, so I just want to make sure it it kind of worked. So. Yeah, that was really good. Cool. No, I thought it went awesome. very well. I'm glad. Well, that's all I have. All right. Do you want to end there then? There's our last NaNoWriMo update. Say. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a fun month. Sure. I'm excited to, to to finish this out. I'm I'm going to do it. I'm going to. Yeah. Right after this, Carly, writing yeah. session. I Yeah. 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 Yeah, I still need to write more today. Yeah, so. me too. I have written like 700 words so far. Oh, nice. But I need for to get... like 200. Yeah, <laughs> today? I need to get to 3,000 by the end of the day. So, so that'll be fun. I have I feel like I've written so much and I've made it such a habit that I'm going to like waste so much time when, I'm, <laughs> when December starts. Yeah. <laughs> Because yeah. my plan is to like not touch it for a month and then come back to it in January and then start going over it more. Sure. But yeah, I'm like I'm gonna have so much more time. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what I'm gonna do yeah. with it. Yeah. <laughs> Alrighty. Well, there you go. That is the Christian artist. You can find us on Twitter at. Christ underscore art underscore show at Facebook at facebook.com slash Christian artist show and at our website at Christian artist show.com. Um, we will be back next week with something that's not NaNoWriMo, man. We got to actually think about things <laughs> like that are separate. Yeah. That'd be writing. crazy. Um, I don't yeah. know. Maybe we'll just talk about writing again. Maybe we'll do like a, a post NaNoWriMo like, yeah, yeah, we might, um, like recap sort of a thing. Um, I think it de- it depend it'll depend on how much we're like yeah writing 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 still or if we're like I think I will take well, a that's break. the thing I, I I can't afford to take a break because if I if I do yeah, it you can't yeah. I will fail I will not finish this book so I just gotta yeah. keep plugging along here yeah um yeah and f- just finish it I just I'm just need I just need to keep going through and and finish the whole thing yep so that's the plan but as long as I can keep up this momentum that's the plan Stan yeah. Okie dokie. But yeah. Yeah, that's it from us. See you next week. Bye.